You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So we read Psalm 1, and maybe the first thing we think after reading this psalm is that we should really study our Bibles more. <laughs> if, if you read this psalm, if we read this psalm and we think that, that is a good thing to think. Psalm 1 is pretty straightforward that there are two ways to live. There is the way of the wicked, and there is the way of the righteous. And the way of the righteous is the blessed way. The the blessed man or the happy person is one who studies the Bible. He is one who resists the way of the wicked, but instead delights in the law of the Lord. And the word here for law is the word Torah, which means instruction, and I, I think that's the, the idea here. We're, we're talking about the, the law of the Lord is the instruction of the Lord, the will of the Lord, and the blessed person delights in this instruction. The, the blessed person delights in the instruction of the Lord so much that they meditate on this instruction day and night, and therefore, this person is like a tree. That's the image in verse 3. The blessed person who delights in the instruction of the Lord and who meditates day and night on the instruction of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. We want to be like that tree, right? We, we read this song. We want to be trees like that. In the Bible, trees have a a lot of symbolism, and there are at least a couple other places where we read about trees, and it sounds a lot like Psalm 1. For example, going back first to Numbers 24, there's the story of Balaam, and if, if you remember, Balaam is this prophet who has been hired by an evil king to curse the people of Israel, but each time that Balaam attempts to curse Israel, God turns Balaam's curse into a blessing because that's what God can do. And and we see that this happens four times. And in Numbers 24, this is Balaam's third attempt to curse Israel. But but Balaam realizes by this point that God intends to bless Israel. And so in Numbers 24, we see that Balaam, from a distance, he can see the, the people of Israel camping out. And the Spirit of God comes upon Balaam. He's looking at Israel, and this is what he says. He says, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. This is an image here, number 24, of God's blessing on his people. This is how God's blessing looks. The people of Israel are said to be like lush vegetation beside a river. God's blessing on his people looks like a tree planted by a stream of water, which is the same image we see in Psalm Psalm chapter 1 or in Psalm 1. And, And we read Psalm 1 and we want to be trees like that, right? We want to be trees like that. Another place we see this is in Jeremiah 17. 
In Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah the prophet has been speaking judgment on the people of Judah. And in, in chapter 17, he juxtaposes the wicked and the righteous. Jeremiah says, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. He shall dwell in parched places of the wilderness. And then he says, of the righteous, contrasting now the righteous to the wicked, Jeremiah 17, 7, Jeremiah says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its root by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green. And we read this and we think this sounds a lot like Psalm 1. There is definitely a theme here when it comes to trees in the Bible. These well hydrated, fruitful, fearless trees are the kind of trees we want to be. We want to be trees like this. We want to trust in the Lord, which means delighting in the Lord's instruction, which means meditating on the Lord's instruction day and night. And so we can read Psalm 1, and we can think, I should study my Bible more. And if we think that, that is a good thing to think. Right? And at the same time, there's more going on in Psalm 1. And I think the more that is happening here in Psalm 1, one is actually more important. There's a more urgent and more vital message in Psalm 1 that impacts how we understand the Psalms overall and how we apply the Psalms to our lives. And that's what I want us to see in our time together this morning. And so the sermon is going to be a little bit different than most sermons because today we're starting a new series in the book of Psalms. And Psalms, by the way, is a lot different from First Timothy which we just finished. I want to spend some time this morning introducing the Psalms and what they're about, okay, which means I'm going to be bouncing around a lot uh, to a bunch of different places in the Bible because what I want us to do is I want us to step back and consider a few basic questions about the Psalms, okay? Three basic questions. We're going to start broadly, and then we're going to narrow it down, okay? So three questions. Here they are. Number one up here. What is the role of Psalms in the Bible overall? Okay, what is the role of the book of Psalms in the Bible overall? And then secondly, what is the role of Psalm 1 in the book of Psalms? And then the third question, how do we apply Psalm 1 to our daily lives? Those are the three questions for the sermon. Let's pray and we'll get started. Our Father, we remember in this moment that the enfolding of your word gives light. You impart understanding to your people in the opening of your word. And so we ask this morning, with your word open before us, make your face to shine upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the first question what is the role of the book of Psalms in the Bible overall? Here's the answer. I want to just go ahead and say the answer, and then I'll explain it. Okay, here, here it is. The role of Psalms in the Bible overall is to make clear that God has a future for the house of David. 
God has a future for the house of David, which is important because the Messiah is supposed to come through the house of David. And for all of this to make sense, we need to back up for a minute, and, and we need just to say a word about the Old Testament, okay? The way the Old Testament is written, there are basically two things going on. When we read the Old Testament, you're either reading the storyline of Israel or you're reading reflections upon that storyline. In other words, the Old Testament shows us what happened to God's people and how God's people think about what happened to God's people. The Old Testament has both history and commentary on that history. Okay, so those are two categories that are important for us to have history and commentary. And when it comes to history, I want to just run through real quickly here what that history is. Okay, I'm going to run through the historical timeline overview of the Old Testament. I'm going to do this fast, okay, so just hold on tight, all right? We'll do this real quickly here. It, of course, goes back to the book of Genesis, and it goes like this. In sum, God made world, world forsook God, God gets world back. That's the Bible, okay? And he does it, God does it through a promise he made to Abraham. God promised Abraham that he would bless his family, and then he would bless the entire world through one of Abraham's descendants. And that promise continued to Isaac and to Jacob. And from Jacob, it went to his 12 sons. And one of them was Judah. And God promised Judah in Genesis 49.10 that the scepter or the kingly rod will not depart from Judah. Well, fast forward now a little bit. The people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt for 430 years until God set them free by the hand of Moses. And he led them for 40 years through the wilderness to the promised land. God gave Israel the law. Then he gave them the land. But Israel, of course, we know, continued in sin. And so God would send judges to bail Israel out. But overall, this was a very unstable situation for Israel until God established the monarchy. God set up a kingdom in Israel, and the king was King David. And this was God's plan. David Within the line of Judah, a descendant of Abraham was the king of God's people. And God promised David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that David would have a son whose kingdom would be established forever. A son of David, a descendant within the house of David would reign as king forever. And this king, of course, was called the Messiah. And this is an amazing moment in Scripture. This is an amazing promise. It means that the promise to Abraham is now concentrated on God's promise to David. David is the how to Abraham's blessing. David is God's how to the promise he made to Abraham. The kingdom under David prospered. These, this was good times for Israel until if we read things fell apart. The kingdom was great until the kings after David forsook the Lord. The kings after David forsook the law and instruction of the Lord, and the kingdom was divided. In the northern kingdom, Israel basically assimilated with 
other pagan religions to the north. And then the southern kingdom, Judah, was taken captive by Babylon and sent into exile. And there was no longer a son of David ruling as king because the entire people were being ruled by a Gentile king. And that's where the history gets stuck. The king of Judah, the offspring of David, is literally in prison in Babylon. That's how the book of 2 Kings ends. And we're stuck here. This creates a problem in the Old Testament. The house of David, which was the hope of God's people, had become a house in disarray. And later in the Old Testament, we know there, there were some returns and some reforms back to the promised land. But the main problem here never gets solved, even when we get to the New Testament. The people of God were ruled by Gentile kings, and it seemed like the house of David was done. That's the problem in the air. That's the tension that we can feel as we read the Old Testament. And the big question is, if we're reading this story, if we're tracking with this history, the big question is, what in the world happened to the house of David? The question is, is God going to keep his promise to Abraham and to David? Is God going to do what he said? And, well, the Psalms want to answer that question for us. The Psalms are here in the Bible to say that indeed God does have a future for the house of David. The Psalms are here to say God is going to fulfill his promise to Abraham by fulfilling his promise to David, by raising up a son of David to reign as king forever. That's what the Psalms are about. And this is actually very central to how the Psalms are set up, how they're arranged, even the order of these books. You can really see this in the Hebrew Bible, okay? So in the Hebrew Bible or in the Jewish Bible, the, the arrangement of their books are a little bit different than ours. And the, the Hebrew Bible is divided into three books. You have the law, the prophets, and the writings. That's how Jesus talked about the Bible in the New Testament. The law, the prophets, and the writings. And the writings sometimes are just called the Psalms because the writings are the poetry and wisdom books. And this is the part that's the major commentary piece when it comes to the Old Testament. It includes Psalms, Proverbs, also includes the book of Ruth. And in one of the orderings of the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth comes right before the book of Psalms. Now, why is that? If you're familiar with the book of Ruth, Ruth is a historical book. Ruth, the book of Ruth is a little four-chapter story that happened way back in the time of the judges. It's basically a narrative flashback. It's a story, historical story. So why then is it with the Psalms? Well, here's the thing. The book of Ruth is all about the house of David. This is how the story starts. This is how the story of Ruth starts. This is Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It begins this way. 
In the days when the judges ruled, there, were, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. All right, so a man from Bethlehem in Judah is sojourning, exiled, in a Gentile land. By the way, the man's name was Elimelech, which means God is king. So there's a man from Bethlehem in Judah named God is king, and he's exiled in a Gentile land, sojourning in a Gentile land. And here's the thing. He dies. And his two sons die. And God is king, has nobody left in his house. Now, Ruth is, the, is his Moabite daughter-in-law, and she stays with Naomi because she trusts in God. But Ruth is a childless widow. And the problem in the story of Ruth here is that Elimelech, God is king, has died in a foreign land, and he doesn't have a son in his house to follow him. That's the problem. But then there's Boaz. And Boaz is the kinsman redeemer in this story. He marries Ruth, and Boaz and Ruth, they have a son. And this son is the son who is going to continue the line of Elimelech. God is king. And the name of the son is Obed. And then this historical book, Ruth, ends with a genealogy. Because Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse, uh, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Welcome to the book of Psalms. This is our entry into the book of Psalms. The message, the message we should get as we come to the book of Psalms is there is still hope for the house of David because the house of David is still the hope. There is a Messiah who is going to come, a king that is a descendant in the house of David. That's what the Psalms are telling us. That's the role of the Psalms in the Bible overall. They're saying, hey, look, even when it doesn't seem like it, even against all odds, God is going to fulfill his promise to David. David will have a descendant, the Messiah, who will reign as king forever. Let me show you. That's the Psalms. That's the message of the Psalms. That's the role of Psalms in the Bible. Okay? That's up here. Second question. What's the role of Psalm 1 then in the book of Psalms? And so here, the the level of structure, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 actually go together. And Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are meant to introduce the entire book of Psalms. When When it comes to Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, if you have your Bibles there, look, look at this. Notice that unlike most Psalms, neither Psalm 1 nor Psalm 2 have a superscript. Okay? There's not a header that says anything about the author of these Psalms or the context about the time they were written. They're just, these, these two Psalms are just there, and both of them are together. And they're actually tied together by these bookends. If you look at Psalm 1-1 and then Psalm 2-12, the beginning and the end. Psalm 1-1 begins, blessed is the man. Psalm 2.12 ends, blessed are all. So you have these, these blessing bookends on these two psalms. At the level of structure, 
These two psalms go together, and they are the lens through which we're supposed to understand the whole book of Psalms. So then what's the lens then? What do we, what's the lens like, okay? Well, if we read Psalm 1 and we think that we should study our Bible more, that's a good thing to think, okay? That's a good thing to think. The blessed person is like a, is like a, a tree planted by streams of water. That, that image is important for us. We want to be like that tree. And so does King David. David wants to be like that tree. Actually, David talks about himself in the way that Psalm 1 describes this blessed man. In other Psalms by David, you can hear echoes of Psalm 1. For example, in Psalm 26, verse 4, David says, this is David speaking, he says, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. Sounds like Psalm 1, right? David's saying, I'm not walking in the counsel of the wicked. I'm not consorting with them. David is not sitting in the seat of scoffers. David is saying, hey, I'm doing it the Psalm 1 way. Another place we see this is Psalm 52. It's so clear in Psalm 52. We see echoes here of both Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together. In Psalm 52, David is speaking about the wicked who have plotted destruction. And he says in Psalm 52, verse 5, God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living the righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. Then David says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. So David in contrast to the wicked, is like a tree. He's a tree, a green olive tree in the house of God. So again, David the king is like the Psalm 1 man. David understands himself as the king to be like this Psalm 1 man. Now, why is that? Why does that matter? Well, it matters because that is how God's king is supposed to be. Way back in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 17, when God laid out the stipulations for his kings, this is one of the things that he said. Specifically, the king is to be devoted to the law of the Lord. Okay, this is Deuteronomy 17, verse 19. It says, the law of the Lord is to be with him, the king. And he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. So the king of God's people is meant to be devoted to God's word. And we also, we see this in Joshua. You guys remember Joshua? His name's very important in the Old Testament. And, and he was the leader who took the place of Moses. So he succeeds Moses as the king-like ruler of Israel, and God told Joshua in Joshua 1, verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, 
but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So again, God's ruler over his people is meant to be devoted to and saturated by the word of the Lord. That is God's vision for God's king. And so now it makes sense how Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 fit together. Psalm 1 is about this blessed man who meditates on the Bible day and night. And Psalm 2 is about God's king who triumphs over his enemies. And here's the deal. It's the same guy. It's the same guy. This is why David understands himself as the king of Israel. David understands himself to be like this Psalm 1 man. When we look at Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together, we see that the blessed man of Psalm 1 is the anointed one or the Christ in Psalm 2 verse 2, who is also God's king in Psalm 2 verse 6, who is also God's son in Psalm 2 verse 7. To be super, super clear, Psalm 1 is about the Messiah who is described in Psalm 2. And David identifies with Psalm 1 because David is the great pointer to the Messiah. David is the great foreshadowing of the Messiah. That's why sometimes when we read the Psalms by David, it's, it, can be, it can be like, man, this, this sounds a lot like Jesus. Sometimes David is speaking about Jesus. Other times the Holy Spirit is speaking as Jesus through the voice of David. And that's how the New Testament authors understood the book of Psalms. That's how they understood the book of Psalms and especially Psalm 1 and 2. Jesus, the Messiah King, is the son from the house of David who will triumph over all his enemies. Psalm 1 and 2 invites us to see the entire book of Psalms through this lens, and we are invited to see it this way by following this way. We are invited at the very beginning of the Psalms, right here in Psalm 1, we are invited to hope in the Messiah and to understand our lives in light of his own. The Messiah is the blessed man, and blessed are all who take refuge in Messiah. That's what Psalm 1's doing. That's the role of Psalm 1 in the book of Psalms. Okay. All right, here's the third question. So how do we apply that? Okay. We've seen Psalms in the Bible, Psalm 1 in Psalms. Now how, do we, how do we apply this? What, what does all this mean for you tomorrow? That's an important question. Okay. I want, in this moment here, I want to get to the take this home level of application. All right? For tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Okay? Here we go. Straightforward here. Psalm 1. Straightforward here. There are two paths that lead to two outcomes. The way of the wicked and there's the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked leads to destruction. The way of the righteous leads to blessing. There are two ways. Everybody see that? Just do this. Hold up two. There are two ways. Everybody see two fingers here. We got, there are two ways here, okay? Two ways. 
And every single person in this room and in this world is walking in one of those two ways. And so how then do we walk the way of the righteous? If there are two ways, and we're all walking in one of these two ways, how do we put ourselves on the path of God's blessing? Because we want to be blessed, right? Everybody wants to be blessed. Everybody wants to be happy. We all want to be happy. So how do we get that? How do we receive the blessing of God? Well, here's the thing. It's not by mere do's and don'ts. It's not by mere codes and guidelines. It's not by mere advice and commands. We do not experience the blessing of God by doing X, Y, and Z. There is no special formula that we can achieve ourselves in order for God to bless us. That's not how it works. Instead, it goes like this. The way of God's blessing is to take refuge in God's Messiah. This is the gospel of Psalm 1. The way of God's blessing is to take refuge in God's Messiah. God's Messiah is the truly blessed man of Psalm 1. And the Messiah is Jesus. Messiah is Jesus. Jesus is the man of whom the scriptures foretold, who even as a 12-year-old boy amazed the Jewish teachers by his understanding of the scriptures. In his temptation, Jesus told Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the start of his ministry, Jesus stood in the synagogue and he read from Isaiah 61 and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. When Jesus was in Jerusalem in the final week before he was crucified, Jesus was in the temple every day speaking and enacting Isaiah 56 and he was teaching the people from the scriptures and all the people were hanging on his words. Jesus quoted from Psalm 110 and he told the people that the Messiah Messiah is not just David's son, but also David's Lord. And then after his resurrection, on the road to Emmaus, as he was talking to Cleopas and his friend, Jesus showed them his glory in the Bible. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm 1, devoted to the Bible because the Bible is about him. And if we will be blessed, it must be in him. Our blessing, church, comes by our refuge in Jesus. He is our Messiah. We are blessed when we take refuge in him, and that means we turn from trusting in ourselves. We stop hoping in our own strength, whatever that costs you. 
Whatever it costs you to stop hoping in your own strength, we stop and we turn and we trust in Jesus the Messiah. We hope in Jesus the Messiah. We become like the blessed man by trusting in the blessed man because blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so this psalm, Psalm 1, it's a call to faith. This is a call to faith. This is an invitation. Psalm 1 is an altar call right here at the beginning of the book of Psalms. Psalm 1, Psalm 1 calls you and me to hope in the Messiah Jesus. And so maybe you read Psalm 1, and after you read it, you think, I should really study my Bible more. And if you think that's, that's a good thing to think, if we read someone and we think that, that is a good thing to think. It is good to study and meditate on the Word of God. But only if you take refuge in the Word made flesh. And that's the call. That's the invitation of Psalm 1. As we read this psalm and as we're going to be reading all of the psalms, This is what we want to do. We want to come to this book. We want to come to the book of Psalms by faith. We want to come to the book of Psalms with hope, taking refuge in our Messiah, Jesus. And that refuge is what we remember here at the table. Here at the table, we remember our refuge in Jesus is a refuge in his wrath absorbing cross. Just get really clear at the table. We trust, when we trust in Jesus, we trust in his cross. Jesus has given us life through his death. Jesus has given us blessing through his being cursed in our place. And at this table is when we remember that and we say amen to that and we give thanks to him for that at this table at this table as we take the bread as we take the cup we are embracing the blessing that is ours in Jesus and this morning if you would do that if you would embrace the blessing that is in Jesus the Messiah if you trust in Jesus by faith we invite you to eat and to drink with us we're going to serve the bread first you can just hold it and then we'll eat it all together his body is the true bread let us serve you